right, hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is a special PyCon edition. My name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. And I'm a coder who's tired. It has been a week. <laughs> I'm so tired. Monday's not going to be easy. Yeah, well, we're, we're uh, dialing in from Sunday morning at PyCon. We have uh, been here since Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening in your case, yeah. Kelly. And I have to say, I think we made a very full uh, weekend out of PyCon. Completely. Every day we were like, we should record. We should record. But there was never any time to record. And we missed out on a, recording a lot of great conversations with people. But it was worth it. Yeah, it's all the reason to be here live and in person next year, right? Exactly, exactly. So uh, I guess to start at the beginning, we both came in on Wednesday. I got here a little bit before you did, and I got to have a fantastic dinner with some new friends and some old friends, and it was very vegan. <laughs> it was good, but it was something new and different, and that's kind of the theme of PyCon is checking out new and different things. Absolutely, and I was envious of that. I, I haven't really had a vegan restaurant I did not vegan the rest of the trip at all either. So yeah, that was pretty, <laughs> pretty clearly established. <laughs> Steaks and hot dogs and put it. Let's talk about food first before we get into the most important yeah. thing. I mean, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, sweet potato gnocchi, and and rouges, uh, Belgian uh, frites, and hot dogs. That was pretty. Oh, so many, <laughs> so many good things. I mean, the coffee. We found good coffee shops. So for next year, we have a good lay of the land. Three Pines Coffee is great. They have a sign up that says, no, we don't have Wi-Fi or decaf. They're very serious about their <laughs> coffee. Uh, and this morning went to Cupla Coffee, which was also delicious. That was really good. I had chia pudding with blueberry compote. Talk about a healthy nice. end to the to the weekend. Nice. And never let it be said that we at, at Teaching Python don't put the important things first <laughs> in our podcast. Definitely so that, for next year, people have to book in advance White Horse. Yeah, White Horse was really, really good. Yeah. The bartenders were a lot of fun, very uh, chatty and entertaining mm -hmm. and uh, great food selection. So even if you uh, don't want to try any of their drinks, their foods were amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. So, so on with the fun. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, maybe you haven't heard of it, but PyCon US is kind of the big... Uh, the biggest Python conference around the world. There are many regional ones uh, that happen around the U.S., around the world. We've met people from all over that come in for PyCon U.S. Um, this year's a little bit smaller, I would say, than previous years. Um, this is the first in-person one since 2019, and that 2019 was our first PyCon. Uh, so this one's about maybe half the size of what it was in 2019, but I think under the circumstances of emerging from COVID and the pandemic, that this is a, a pretty good turnout. And I have to say the people that are here are incredibly into it and excited about it, and everybody is here to get along and learn new things. Absolutely. And if the, the newbies that were there this year, I think it was an easier transition into PyCon. I think more people were able to talk to each other. It was less overwhelming. And uh, complete, I felt completely safe and we had masks and everything was well spaced out. And I just think that they did a great job of getting us all back together under a one roof. So yeah. Yeah. And I know that it was also a hybrid event. And sometimes I, you don't see those seams at the uh, 
you know, when you're here at the conference, but there were, I think, over 800 virtual attendees this year also. Um, so a lot of the talks were live streamed to the virtual registrants, and I know that a lot of those sessions will be posted to YouTube later on. I'm hoping so, because there were so many that we missed um, when we were speaking and when we were in other places, so I can't wait to watch those. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. So um, I guess we'll start with day one, which was the education <laughs> summit for us. Uh, that Thursday uh, this week, was a day-long education summit with educators of all kinds from around the country and around the world. And uh, we ended up running it <laughs> kind of at the last minute. Uh, they asked if uh, Kelly and I and Daniel Chen, uh, Dr. Daniel Chen, Dr. Which is kind Daniel of fun, Chen, yes. fun to say now, uh, if we would step in and, and take over the hosting of the event because the um, Elizabeth Wicks could unfortunately not make it. And so we took over and um, I think it turned out really well. It was, uh, I think we had about 50 people there um, and a lot of phenomenal conversations and great talks in the morning. Um, unfortunately, those were not recorded, but we do have the um, presentations from all of the speakers available on the PyCon US website. So if you go to the Education Summit, you can at least see the speaker notes and see who, who talked and maybe reach out to them to get a little bit more information. Yeah, I mean, that was a great conference for me. I think that's the highlight for me with PyCon, getting to speak to educators from all um, all over the world and from all levels of education, just to see a lot of people like you who came in from the industry and now want to start supporting and make a change to curriculum and have more people coding Python, um, people in the data science. A lot of conversations were happening about how do we get data science and Python into the educational system. Mm -hmm met a lot of people about talking about that, which was really cool. And just just being with, I know this is kind of bad, but being with your kind, being with the people that get it when you're grading and you're struggling and you're in your failures and your and your happy moments. So it's kind of a nice day all around, very comfortable and cozy. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that we saw was the number of people that said, you know, I'm kind of on my own in my school district or in my school teaching what I'm teaching, um, whether it's a teacher who is moving into the technology and, and coding space or whether it's a uh, technologist who's coming into the teaching space, there aren't a lot of us around. So to come together as a group for the day is really, really important. And, you know, I know we say this every year and I think we need to find a way as a community to make this happen. We always talk about keeping things going throughout the year. So it's not just a, an annual meetup. Um, I think we have to analyze this and do some reflecting on why have we never kept this really going throughout the year and what can we do differently this time to make that happen because it is really obvious every time we get together that we need to do this more than once a year at PyCon. 100 percent and and probably going to put a shout out to anyone who is um, thinking about data science we were asked if if we can make some connections for a friend of our that friend of ours that we met from South America who teaches in Brazil and she is starting to teach data science in her high school. Um, and we have another high school person that is also going to be doing some AI and, and data science. And they wanted to make some connections and to see if anyone else is in their predicament where they don't really know where to go yet. And uh, they want to communicate and collaborate and see where they're going with data science. Yeah, and there was some um, cool outreach too. It looks like Anaconda is getting behind um, more data science in education. And so we met um, a, a person from that team that's coming in to try to do some outreach and make connections. So there are some really interesting, good things happening. And I think it's really on us to figure out how we make that 
move forward. 100%. Yeah. So overall, really good. Our talk was on busting curricular myths of teaching Python. I think it was a lot of fun. That was too much fun. I, I think that was one of, out of the five presentations we did this week, that one to me um, was just an easy one, a fun one. And I, I wish it was recorded because we had a lot of laughs. I was quite the comedian. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough playing straight man to you sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was really good. And I think a lot of head nodding, people seeing a lot of the same things. But also, you know, for people who are teaching at different levels or in different areas, they, they could see some commonality, but they also saw a different approach to things that they could apply in their work. So, you know, for example, I know, you know, Reuben Lerner uh, talked a lot about how he was really impressed with all the things that we're doing. Reuben's teaching you know, all over the world to adults. Mm -hmm. And he brings a lot of humor and, and everything into his teaching, which I think really, you know, connects with the same things we're doing. So we are going to put the links to the slide deck, at least in our, um, in our notes as well. But you can see all the speaker notes on the PyCon US Education Summit page. That'll be, that'll be really useful. I think there were, there were, I'm trying to remember the six of them. And I, I was interested in all of them. It was pretty. It was pretty cool. Just even down to Dr. Daniel Chen's yeah. um, data and how he actually built out his curriculum. It was really nice. Yeah, it was a really interesting data-oriented approach to designing curriculum that I was really impressed with. He even brought in some product design persona work that was very familiar for me from my marketing days. Um, but it was pretty cool to see how he brought it all together. Well, it was quite interesting. I was reflecting on his presentation uh, about the personas. We often do this in schools, um, thinking about our curriculum as a whole. And a lot of schools will say, um, if we plan our curriculum for the child that is at our school from PK to 12, what does that child look like? Where do we want that child to be in the 12th grade year? And what Dr. Chen did and his presentation was actually said, I, what is that person going to be like in my class, yeah. in my course? And I think if we fine grain that kind of talk in each level, in each grade level, in each uh, curriculum level, in each division, I think that would be a big game changer. What does a sixth grader look like? And who is that sixth grader that I'm teaching in, in my course? And, and how can I make sure that I reach that child every day uh, in every class, you know? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing, and it works particularly well in product design. Um, and I, I think this is helpful from a design perspective because it's really hard to completely personalize your curriculum and your approach and your design for an individual that you haven't met yet. But it's much easier to have a set of a few personas, different like targets, people that have different needs and different approaches, different beliefs and behaviors to give them um, at least three or four different options. And they'll pick and choose from each of those personas to take what works best for them. So it's an interesting way to go from you know, kind of a monolithic approach where you're designing for one type of student to designing for three or four students. You can actually far better address the individual needs of a lot more students without having to try to think about and get overwhelmed by, you know, dozens or hundreds of different students. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm thinking, sorry, I'm processing, but we're going to move on because I'll process for a little bit. I'm just thinking of how we can, how I can apply that in, in my classroom. Like I keep going on using that general approach and still keeping the personal personalization within the curriculum. Yeah. And so I've always thought of it as like, um, like 
ca uh, casting stones into mm -hmm. a pond, right? You're trying to aim for that one target of the three or four that you have, but the ripple effect and the interaction between the different stones that you toss is what makes it individualized and personalized for that, that learner. So there's a way to do it that feels like you're not being personalized, but it actually, when you're receiving it, is incredibly personalized. Something I think we need to do a podcast episode about this. I think so. I think so. What does the sixth grade new Python student look like? What does the eighth grade persona of a student who's gone through the classes, what would that look like? What would a, what would a graduating senior look like who's had, you know, JavaScript, Python, you know, CompSci, AI, whatever they do in post-APs. Yeah, and it's interesting because we've always thought of our um, differentiation in learning as being like a gradiated scale or a, um, um, levels of achievement or like that there's like a ranking of it, right? Like the most advanced to the least advanced. But in reality, when you do these personas, they don't have to be ordered in their level of proficiency. It could be you know, someone who's very comfortable and experienced, mm -hmm. even if they don't have a lot of knowledge yet, versus someone who is apprehensive or afraid and doesn't really want to learn, right? Oh, you know, Daniel, we need to call you back. You're going to have to come in here and help us write persona. I would love to do or help us write a survey. Can you imagine a mindset, a mindset, perseverance, skill set, cognitive skill set mirroring within the, the curriculum in order to and see in order to analyze our students and our future students it would be really cool. Yeah. We should move on, though, because okay, this, okay, is, oh this is supposed to be a yes. recap. Okay, go a, recap. Go ahead. Sorry. Not a deep dive. Yeah. We always do a deep it's dive. It's too exciting. Okay, no, okay. So, um, so Friday. Friday. Um, what was, was sort Friday? Of, Friday was our keynotes day. Oh, yes. Which was, was super cool. Super cool. So we actually skipped the Friday keynote. Saturday, <laughs> I'm thinking. Okay, so we'll forget Friday. I'm like, wait forget a minute. Forget Friday. Yeah, Friday, um, we skipped that one because... Yeah, we were working on our presentation. Oh, yes, So we, we had our presentation on Saturday. <laughs> we spent a lot of Friday kind of roughing it out. And I described it kind of like if you walked into the mechanic's garage, all the parts for the car were there, but they were all laying on the floor, mm -hmm. right? So it was our job on Friday to put them all back together. So we spent some time figuring out how all these pieces fit together for our talk on Saturday. Um, and then we also spent some time going to different talks on mm -hmm. Saturday and seeing what people were talking about. Um, but we wait, we did the booths too. So yeah. I have to say there was some of the booths were really interesting. There was a um, company and I need to go back and look at all the companies, but this company was aggregating a bunch of data sets that you can pull from online. So you would not have to bring down, um, the data from your computer and, I know, get a secure key or whatever, but you work within the browsers and you can use this to test um, data science. You can do this to test your AI data sets, uh, NumPy, all that stuff. And I was really interested to see, and it's actually secure. So, uh, and I say secure, I mean, it's um, student safe. So there's yeah. not going to be bad images in there. And I thought that was really interesting fact that you have this data collection that you can use and you're not worried about um, finding a uh, inappropriate image that a student might use. So um, that was cool to me. And then again, good to speak to PyCharm and Anaconda, and that was really cool, and talk about more of the things that they're going to do with uh, the data science and education outreach program. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, it's interesting, there's a couple different categories of vendors that tend to be at PyCon with their different booths and, and everything. So I'd say there's like developer tools, right? Which is like security and supply chain. And here's things that make your job as a developer easier, smoother, faster, whatever that is. 
Um, but then there was also sort of like now a data science tool chain that's coming out. So data science tools that help you um, either spin up compute resources so you can process through your data sets faster, databases for machine learning and AI and data science. So there's like this whole separate category that's really targeted at data science and data analytics. And I would put kind of Anaconda in some of those categories as well. Um, there's a small education segment between, I would say, No Starch Press and um, and real Python. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also sort of like the broad base, like useful for everyone or enterprise-y type stuff mm -hmm. like your AWS and your Microsoft. And it's really interesting to kind of walk around and just see all the different things that people are doing and offering um, that may you may not see in your day-to-day -day work, right? Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. And I got some stuff for both my new day job, you know, around security and supply chain and building out platforms, as well as some stuff for teaching and education. So I was able to get a lot of different things out of the expo hall. Yeah. And the ones, there was a couple of uh, project management agile um, tools, which I thought was really interesting. And coming from the educator side where they're trying to push in some more agile learning into it, I thought that was really interesting. Um, so some cool products and they're offering at like, seven dollars a student where they can plan out yeah. their software um so that was really interesting for me because most of it in the cleveland was only for businesses yeah. and there wasn't even uh offering for education they didn't really realize that but in that past what two years three years there's a more of an understanding that education is going to happen yeah yeah and i would say um, a good example of this is the code anywhere booth i don't know if you got a mm -hmm. chance to look at them um I'm not sure it's quite ready for, say, like a, a teacher who's just learning about technology to to set up and configure it. You might still be better off with like a replit or, or something like that. But Code Anywhere looked like it could be really good at kind of that high, advanced high school computer science or post-secondary college level um, where you could create configurations for coding environments. And then the student can click on a link and it creates the environment for them automatically. So it's like a, a little bit more... Um, advanced version of like a Google Colab where you can create the environment for someone with all of the packages that you want and the base configuration and everything. They can do all their coding in there and have access to a computer online that can do it. I was a little bit intimidated by, I mean, not like in terms of like putting myself in the shoes of another teacher. Um, it seems like there's a lot of configuration files that could be kind of intimidating for someone to get started with, but maybe with a really good tutorial or some support, it would be a, a doable thing. Yeah. So let's talk Saturday in PyScript. Oh yeah, that was that was super cool. So that was the day we actually went to the keynotes uh, and and because we had our talk ready to go, but we went to the keynotes and the first keynote was um, with Sarah Isuin. I'm not entirely oh, sure how yes. to pronounce her name, um, but she's an Einstein fellow and worked on the Event Horizon Telescope team. And she walked us through how we got captured the first images of a black hole at the center of the M87 galaxy, which combines two of my nerd passions around space <laughs> and Python and data. Um, and so she talked through uh, the whole step-by-step -step process. And I really thought the best part of that talk was not just getting to the answer, but validating the answer and really proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that the data meant what we thought that it mm -hmm. meant, that we removed all the bias that we possibly could out of it. So it wasn't just, here's the image, go nuts. It was, 
how do we know that this image is real and that we haven't introduced our own human bias into it? And it was yeah. really cool. I thought it was neat they how they spent seven weeks apart without communication from the other teams around the world just to make sure that what they saw was really what they saw. And then after seven weeks of analyzing their own data, they show it's like it's I don't know, I was trying to to assimilate to something in the real world, but you're you're in a room talking about some solution and then all of a sudden you come out in the and outside and you throw down your cards and everyone has the same solution. Yeah. It's just kind of remarkable that te four teams had the same image out of all the data points that they had collected for that team area. So, And the story that she told there was really important too, because, you know, it's easy to think of this as science and dispassionate and we don't talk about the, the people behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. But she said that they worked in, in her team for seven weeks and these people are all over the world collaborating remotely putting it together and they have no contact with anyone else. Mm -hmm. And they're having that moment of doubt, like this almost feels too easy. Like, did we come to the right answer too fast? And what happens if our data doesn't match the other teams? And you know, they were applying a set of techniques, other teams were applying a different set of techniques and they were asked to send in one picture that they came up with. So they sent in their best image of what they thought was the, the best representation of the data that they had and the techniques that they applied to it. And she said that they, when they met together in person, they put all the photos on one slide and they put it up at the same time for all the teams to see and all the four pictures matched really, really well. I mean, obviously there were differences with the different techniques, but you could tell they were all looking at the same thing and had come to the same conclusion. And that was cool. And then they were like, and then we went out for karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> I was really special to me. I sent the picture. Um, of the black hole to my kids. And I was like, this was, this was made possible by Python. And both my kids went cool <laughs> exclamation point, yeah. all capital letters. Yeah. So that's kind of special just to let them know that, you know, here's a black hole, um, all the things that happen and Python did it. Yeah. So PyScript. PyScript is really cool. So if you haven't seen the announcement already, this was brand new announced at Python, uh, PyCon, sorry. And it was really, something that I think is going to be powerful. And we've seen attempts at this before, but I think there's something interesting about this approach. This is Python running entirely in the browser. So it doesn't have a separate download. It doesn't have anything else. It's just running Python in your browser and it interacts with your browser. Mm -hmm. So it acts almost like JavaScript in your browser where you can um, interact with the DOM in HTML. You can manipulate the HTML elements. You can move things around. You can change stuff, but it's running full C Python interpreter as I think it was called the um, uh, WebAssembly, right? As a WebAssembly um, component in your browser. So it's running real Python in the browser with all of the great things that that brings along with it. Yeah, I was, uh, I was impressed by that. It. It's obviously still in uh, alpha, pre-alpha. Um, something we can't use, but what I, what, what was really impressing for me was the idea that they want to make it so that kids can use it so that we are preparing the next developers, the next, I don't know what he put on there, 10,000 million, million, 100 right? million developers. Right. <laughs> so it was a big number, but I, I think that was really interesting that there's that forward thinking, um, for the kids and where they're going to be going because you need new developers yeah. to come out of the schools. So. Yeah, and actually I was showing it with one of my students that I tutor this morning. She wanted to learn about JavaScript and I was like, well, there's this brand new thing if you want to look at it so we can understand how you would interact with code in the browser. And so we played around with some of the demos and we looked at it 
And what's great about it is that it just adds some extra tags. So you have like a PyScript tag that you can use in HTML to be able to get this to render information and data in your web browser to be able to manipulate JavaScript. You have hooks into... You have hooks into JavaScript um, libraries. They show demos of WebGL and visualization and all these things. So just like Python can hook into C and C++ and Fortran, now you can hook into JavaScript too. So it's pretty cool to see that. Yeah, so after that, Trey Hunters. That Python was, oddities oh, explained. That was great. And what a great uh, reflection add-on to a last-minute add-on in our in our slideshow to add Trey Hunters' uh, um idea of asking why, why things happen in Python. And I think that's a huge question that every educator can put into their classroom easily. Why do you think this happens? Or why did this error happen? Or what's happening in the list? Or what's happening in the tuple? It, it made my, my head kind of spin and, and I was sitting there reflecting saying, a couple years ago at Cleveland, I would not have any idea what he was talking about, but I felt very comfortable sitting in his his talk and going, yeah, why does that happen? And he had a lot of questions for us. Great, great talk. Yeah, it was, it was really good. And I think that will, will be one of the talks that people will want to check out on YouTube when it becomes available. Um, it really, it's not just the specific oddities that he's talking about. He really addressed nicely that idea of, being curious mm -hmm. about looking at like, well, why does it do that? Or this is weird. This isn't what I expected. So anytime that your expectations are not quite met, to ask that question, well, why is this happening, right? And what's causing this to happen? And then digging a little bit deeper and digging a little bit deeper and exploring that curiosity, which is something that we used in our talk. <laughs> 100%. Um, trying to think where we went after that. There were so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I did see some um, some cool talks about, um, you know, later on on Saturday, I saw Anthony Shaw's talk on Python improvements, so making your your code faster by avoiding some anti-patterns in your Python code. And I guess the short summary of it is if you're looping over things a lot of times, um, hundreds of thousands or millions of times, it makes your code a lot faster if you apply some speed improvements and speed optimizations. And he had some specifics in there about the things that he saw that are pretty common. But then he also showed you how to uh, identify and measure improvements in your own code so that you could discover the things that were slowing down your code the most with some code profilers, but then also how to address them and how to fix them. So it's pretty, pretty cool to see that because it felt like it was some computer science topics and things that people talk about a lot with compiler design, but turned into really practical real world examples where I could say like, oh yeah, I've definitely done that in my code before. Yeah. yeah. And I was, uh, I forgot to mention, I had the com a conversation with Anthony at dinner and really got my brain thinking and I was giving him a hard time, but to be honest, I was giving him a hard time because he was challenging my thoughts of what I could do in computer science. And he was um, explaining to me some of the lessons he did in his classroom that he's helping or doing one of the many things he's doing and talking about lessons with the binary and how a computer works and going through the whole process of the inputs and outputs and, and having that that understanding prior to even coding, um, which if I had a longer course, I think 
100%, I would be implementing those all those lessons in the beginning because they were so critical to really help the students see what's going on in a computer. And I don't think they get that a lot in um, much of what they do in the education system. So those couple activities that I was talking about, the Ethernet and switches and breadboards and just the start of hardware without doing any of the coding, which was really cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's interesting because I think it, there's a balance to be struck there. There's a right level of foundational knowledge and preparation work for so preparing the student to think about coding but then there's also a bit of like we need to jump right in sometimes mm -hmm. and, and make things happen and, and get coding get hands on the keyboard um, as early as possible in the process and I think it depends a lot on the instructor mm -hmm. it depends a lot on the students and where they're coming from and finding that right starting point mm -hmm. is sometimes rather tricky Hundred percent, and I do not, I do not recommend or support the lecture of binary use and graphing out a whole bunch of binary numbers. And that, to me, is part of the reason why I didn't get into computer science. Really, is that it was kind of dry and boring. The doing part was fun for me, but I do, I do agree with the, the approach that Anthony was showing, telling me in his lessons of how he was getting the kids to just think what's happening prior to code. Yeah. So I'm going to explore more options with that. Hopefully he'll share out some of his lesson ideas and his hands-on talks. I'm not sure I can do it justice like he did, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's a good question to ask, right? So we have, uh, we have some ideas there around how to make that work, and I'm sure that all of our listeners do too. Um, again, it comes down to what suits your personal style and the work in the classroom. And the persona of the child that you're teaching. the persona of the child. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, not to save the, the best thing for last, but I, I have to say I'm really, really excited about the way our talk turned out at PyCon. Uh, we've been working on it for a while. We've been thinking about it for a while. And um, it's kind of amazing to me that we went from writing our first lines of Python code four years ago to speaking at the Python event here in Salt Lake City just four years later. Um, that was incredible. That room was huge. <laughs> I walked in there on, I think, Wednesday or Thursday when I first got in just to kind of get the lay of the land and see what things looked like. And I walked in that room and it's like, wow, there's a lot of chairs in here. And while I was sitting on the stage watching people stroll in and seeing uh, Guido coming in, I, would, I didn't tell Sean because I thought he had seen him walk in, but I was just like, God. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so our talk was learn Python like a 12 year old and, and the whole goal of our talk, and I hope everyone kind of expected, got what they expected out of the mm -hmm. talk, but our talk was about applying the things that make a 12 year old so effective at learning the parts of their brain physiology, the parts of their schedule and the way they approach learning and applying that to the way that we learn as adults while still taking advantage of all of the, um, learned advantages that we have as an adult to be able to make our learning more effective. Yeah. And I think it was it was interesting because as we were developing this talk, the thing that kept becoming apparent to us was it was really about how the brain works and it's about how we learn things. So it's that cognitive psychology that's really important to learning and getting our brains to work in a more effective way by kind of hacking that cognitive psych psychology loop. Absolutely. And to be honest, the best part of the talk was talking to the people afterwards. A University of Chicago student came up to me and said, um, our talk really hit her and made an impression because as a computer science major in University of Chicago, she was the 
she went into this computer science class and she had never coded before and she felt really um inadequate she was saying that she had a lot of stress because a lot of the other students that were in the university um, had already coded before and she didn't know anything and a lot of that stress hindered her learning and so we were talking about what can she do to um, help it remove that anxiety and then another person was what came from a a developer professional development company and said a lot of the things that we shared um, were really important for her and her design of curriculum. And one of the things that she was trying to work around was how do we get those adults who are afraid to say I'm having issues, share their issues. And one of the things I said to her was, you know, why don't you try the old adage of you put a post-it and have a post-it board of, of issues or failures and have make that a thing that's known that I can post my post-it anonymously of what's hurting or what's hard or what's stopping me or what's making me fail. And then you can have a group conversation about what's happening and why and how we can solve it. And it was just really neat that we made an impact and a lot of educators were really excited to share what they did. And yeah, I was, a, I was a little worried um, because our time slot was late in the afternoon on the second day of talks. <laughs> I was a little worried that there no one would show up and people showed up. People showed up. <laughs> um, so it was, it was really wild and exciting and fun and I'm glad we did it. And I, I, you know, I know that our talk will be posted to YouTube sometime in the next you know, few weeks. And you know, I'd love to see it myself because <laughs> it's a little different when you're doing it instead of um, watching it. But I, I couldn't be happier with the way it turned out, um, especially at the end of a long week of presentations and travel and conversations and all the things that go into making a week like this happen. Um, I have to say, I. I'm glad that I did it with you. <laughs> it was good to have a partner to do it. Would not um, have wanted to do that by myself. That no. was nerve wracking. Bless all those people that get up there and do that. Yeah, maybe next year you can go solo. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was a really, really great conference overall. I know that the organizers have worked really, really hard to put it on. Speakers have worked really, really hard to put it on. Everyone who just came and put themselves out there to be a part of this have worked really, really hard. And you can tell that there were a lot of first-time ribbons, you know, people who are coming to PyCon for the first time. Um, and it's hard to do that for the first time, especially if you're a beginner or someone who doesn't know Python that well, to be able to go to a conference about Python and say, I'm still learning or I'm new at this or I'm a beginner because I think one of the things that a lot of people take away is realizing that everybody's still learning and Absolutely. everybody's finding something new. 100%. All right. So I think that's our, our recap for PyCon. Plenty more to come on Twitter. Lots of new people um, that we met. Um, I even met the author of my favorite Math with Python book. Amit Shah came up to us after the talk. Oh, wow. So it was just really really cool he was out the talk i didn't get this oh wow yeah he was he was so excited that we uh knew of his book and i told him how much we used it so it's, that's the magic of pycon is just meeting all these people that are the actual people behind the names oh we can't forget al swigert oh we, yeah we did i'm sorry Al, i did not forget you that was a highlight and seeing you at ed summit yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Speaking of books. <laughs> but that's but that's the coolest thing about PyCon is like that there are real people out there that are part of our community. PyCon is a fantastic way to meet them. And 
one of the things that I want to do over the next couple of years is start attending more regional PyCons because not everyone can come to the big PyCon US. There are phenomenal people out there doing work in the regions and it'd be great to meet them and, and make more connections. Yeah, maybe PyCon Africa or PyCon Australia. If we're asked to be guest speakers, <laughs> okay. I will figure out a way to go. Figure out a way. <laughs> All right. So I think that does it for this week. Um, keep an eye on our show notes, our Twitter feed, and our website for more updates from this week. We're going to be posting um, slide notes and videos and all everything we can possibly think of to share with you all the stuff that's happened this week. Um, but again, thank you uh, for coming with me, Kelly. Thanks mm. for presenting with me. Um, it's been really great. And uh, now it's off to the airport. Yeah, it was great. It was All, right. Great. <laughs> All right. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off. Mm -hmm.